1: Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. confess that to the best of my knowledge, Brother William is among the lost. I have not heard of him since the explosion took place, and I have no hope of hearing of him anymore. From a letter written by Samuel Pickens to Cynthia and Mary Pickens, April 28,
0: 1865. Hey, y'all. So, This week, we ain't got no ghosts or haunted places or anything. Instead, we are going to take a trip down the mighty Mississippi River and explore the worst maritime disaster in the history of the United States. It's an event that had a massive loss of lives just a few weeks following the Civil War, and it's something that a lot of folks haven't heard of. Of course, if you're into this type of history with all the old steamboats and stuff, this summer, I'm going to be doing a show in the historic Rivertown Alton, Illinois. That's right, on Thursday, June 22nd, I'm going to be telling ghost stories at the Old Mineral Springs Hotel, just a stone's throw from the Mississippi River, to help kick off the annual Haunted America Conference, which is a blast to attend. So if you're interested in coming out, tickets to attend both the conference and the show are at ghostconference.net. But don't wait too long because after-hour events for Haunted America. Sell out quick, so get over there now. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you haven't yet, I want to invite you to sign up for our newsletter. This month, we're going to be sending out a Southern Gothic mug to one lucky subscriber, and since signing up is absolutely free, there is no downside, y'all. Besides, if I'm honest, I'm really bad about sending newsletters out consistently, so if you're worried about getting spammed, I promise it's more likely that you're going to get ghosted. But this is a great way to stay connected if you're not a member of our Facebook group or a Patreon supporter. So please go sign up for a chance to win some swag. You can do it by heading over to southerngothicmedia.com slash newsletter or clicking the link in the show notes. Now with that, let's go ahead and start talking about today's story. Well, as someone who grew up just right there next to the Mississippi River, my sister has become absolutely fascinated by steamboats. You know, that classic Antebellum South icon with the big paddle wheels and the calliope going, the whole deal, right? Well, this form of travel absolutely changed the way business could get done in the Antebellum South because it finally allowed people to both travel and send goods back up north up the river. Of course, this sometimes came at a cost because even though some of these steamers were luxury vessels, they weren't exactly the safest means of travel. And as a result, numerous lives were lost. In fact, we've covered one of these tragedies before, the Eliza Battle, which sunk over on the Tom Bigby River. And some people say they still see her apparition to this day. Well, on April 27th, 1865, The worst of all of these disasters took place when one of the steamboat Sultana's boilers suddenly exploded, unleashing a hellish inferno that consumed the ship and everyone aboard. A tragedy that was made even worse by the fact that this ship, which was designed to carry a maximum of 376 passengers and 85 crewmen, had over 2,100 people aboard on that fateful day. Fortunately, the staggering loss of life that took place on that dark night has long been overshadowed by what happened only a little more than a week before. The assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. A headline that forced this disaster of epic proportions to be largely overlooked at the time. Yet the legacy of this event endures. A haunting reminder of the countless lives lost and sacrifices made During one of the darkest periods of American history. My name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right, Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up but since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups, and trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com
2: slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast.
0: On January 3rd, 1863, the steamboat Sultana was launched for the first time. Constructed from sturdy wood at the John Litherby Boatyard in Cincinnati, Ohio, she was an impressive sight. A side-wheeled steamer measuring 260 feet in length and 42 feet at her widest point. With a registered weight of 1,719 tons and a crew of 85, the mighty Sultana was designed to carry up to 376 passengers on a regular route between St. Louis and New Orleans. The Sultana was built to serve the Mississippi River cotton trade with her two powerful paddle wheels driven by four coal-burning boilers. But in the turbulent years of the Civil War, the steamboat business was a risky venture. The war itself posed a constant threat to those who dared to navigate the waters of the Mississippi, and the destruction wrought by the conflict left many boats idle, with more steamboats than cargo to be moved. Yet in the spring of 1864, a group of shrewd St. Louis businessmen took ownership of the Sultana, determined to turn her into a profitable enterprise, and one of these men was James Cass Mason a riverboat captain who took the helm of their newly acquired steamer. Under the command of Mason, the Sultana operated on the river successfully for several seasons. But when she set out from St. Louis on April 13, 1865, Mason had no way of knowing that this journey would be his last. Just two days later, While docked at Cairo, Illinois, the captain learned that President Abraham Lincoln had been shot. In a bid to spread the news as quickly as possible, Mason said to have snatched up armfuls of newspapers that he then distributed stops downriver on the way to New Orleans. He then carried on as usual until they docked at Vicksburg, Mississippi. There, U.S. Army Captain Reuben Hatch approached Mason with an offer that the riverboat captain couldn't refuse. Hatch was the chief quartermaster at Vicksburg, where a camp of thousands of recently released prisoners of war from Confederate prisons like Cahaba and Andersonville were all waiting for a way to get home. And it was Hatch's duty to make that happen. So the quartermaster told the riverboat captain that he'd fill the Sultana with about 1,400 men if Mason agreed to give him a kickback of the profits. This type of arrangement wasn't necessarily uncommon. Due to the destruction of railroads during the war and the amount of men needed to be transported back north, river travel was deemed the most effective means for the task. The United States government had offered to pay any steamboat captain $2.75 per enlisted man and $8 per officer taken north which is about $50 and $150 in today's money. That meant that this deal Hatch was making with Mason was at a minimum worth $4,000, or roughly $75,000 in today's currency. Obviously, Mason knew full well that this many men would dangerously exceed his boat's capacity. But with that much money on the line, he agreed anyway. So upon the ship's return upriver, the Sultana would stop at Vicksburg and carry the prisoners of war home. On April 21, 1865, the Sultana set out from New Orleans with a crew of 85 men, around 70 passengers, and a small amount of livestock cargo. This trip north did not begin on a good note though. About 10 hours south of Vicksburg, one of the four boilers sprang a leak. So the Sultana limped its way into port to be repaired and pick up the large load of passengers. Upon arrival in Vicksburg, a mechanic was brought in to address the leaking boiler, and his assessment was that the ruptured seam of the boiler needed to be cut out and replaced. Aware that such a significant repair would take several days to complete, delaying their schedule and risking his deal with Hatch. Mason and his chief engineer convinced the mechanic to make only temporary repairs with the intention of correcting it in full upon their arrival in St. Louis. So the mechanic merely hammered the bulged boilerplate back into position and riveted a patch of iron over the seam to stabilize it. As a result, the Sultana only lost a single day rather than three. Meanwhile, the prisoners were boarding the Sultana, most of which were from Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and West Virginia. During the war, they had been incarcerated at either the Confederate prison at Cahaba, Alabama, or the notorious Andersonville, Georgia. Due to the horrific conditions that they endured on both the battlefield and then in these camps, a significant number of them were weakened by injury and illness so by the time they boarded the steamer, many were in truly desperate condition. In fact, some didn't even make it to Vicksburg. After the war ended, these men had been sent to Jackson, Mississippi by either railroads, boats, or even sometimes on foot. They were then forced to walk roughly 50 miles to Camp Fisk, a neutral holding camp where former prisoners of war were given food and clothing. From there... They were brought into Vicksburg by train, but of course the train was overcrowded, as each meant to carry 600, was pushed to the limit with 800 men. After all of this, these soldiers were finally close to getting home, and although the day was hectic, they were in good spirits. Unfortunately, as they boarded the riverboat, the officers supervising the process failed to do their job. They were supposed to only allow two trains worth of men to board the Sultana, but they did not, and three transferred over to the vessel. So when the Sultana left Vicksburg, she was carrying over 2,130, including 85 crew members, 70 fair-paying cabin passengers, 22 guards, and 1,935 former prisoners of war. Still, the men's spirits were high. Unfortunately, the overcrowding was obvious as the ship's deck began to sag and creak. Two days later, when the Sultana stopped at Helena, Arkansas on April 26th, photographer Thomas W. Banks took a now-iconic picture of the grossly overcrowded ship sitting low in the water and the decks thick with men, a now-eerie image that truly encapsulates the scope of this tragedy and number of lives that would soon be lost. That evening, around 7 p.m., they arrived in Memphis, Tennessee. 120 tons of sugar were unloaded from the hold, and about 200 men disembarked before the ship briefly traveled upriver to take on a new load of coal from the coal barges. Then, by about 1 a.m. on April 27th, the Sultana resumed her journey up the Mississippi River. Unfortunately, disaster was about to strike. Around 2 a.m., the Sultana's patched boiler exploded. Then, a split second later, two more followed, and roughly 400 to 500 men were killed instantly by the impact. Soldiers from Tennessee and Kentucky who had been packed in next to the boilers due to the overcrowding. The initial explosion traveled upward at a 45-degree angle, tearing through the crowded decks above destroying the pilot house and killing both Captain James Mason and his crew inside. The blast left a 25 to 30 foot hole in the steamer, and now without a pilot, the Sultana was nothing more than a drifting, burning hulk of a steamboat full of helpless passengers. Many on board woke to the explosion and the feel of hot water and embers falling on them. Others found themselves airborne, thrown back by the concussive force of the blow. Private Commodore Smith of Company F in the 18th Michigan Infantry described his grisly experience in later testimony, quote, at the time her boilers exploded I was lying sound asleep on the lower deck, just back of the rear hatchway to the hold. I was not long in waking up, for I was nearly buried with dead and wounded comrades, legs, arms, heads, and all parts of human bodies and fragments of the wrecked upper decks. I struggled to my feet and tried to go forward on the boat, but could not on account of the wreckage and carnage of human freight, which now covered the lower deck. Eventually, the steamer's weakened smokestacks fell, one backward into the hole created by the explosion, and the other forward onto the still-crowded section of the upper deck, causing this to then collapse into the middle deck, killing and trapping those below. The slope that was created by this exposed the furnaces below, and the broken deck wood quickly caught fire, creating a vicious inferno. Unfortunately, the sultana was facing into the wind, so the flames blew backward toward the stern, allowing a significant number of passengers to scamper to the bow for a little bit of safety. But then, one of the massive paddle wheels broke away and fell into the water. Now off balance, the boat began turning around completely until the second wheel followed the first into the river's waters. Unfortunately, This meant that the roughly 400 survivors who had sought safety on the bow were now directly in the path of those flames. There were now only two options for the men who survived that initial blast. Stay aboard the ship and die in the fire, or jump overboard and take a chance in the chilling waters of the Mississippi River. According to Private Commodore Smith, and now occurred the hardest task of my life. The boat was on fire, and the wounded begged us to throw them overboard, choosing to drown instead of being roasted to death. While our hearts went out in sympathy for our suffering and dying comrades, we performed our sad but solemn duty. I say we because there were others besides myself who were fortunate enough not to be hurt or blown overboard by the explosion and they too were doing all they could to alleviate the sufferings of their unfortunate comrades. We waited, hoping, but in vain, to be rescued from the burning wreck. When at length the last shadow of hope had expired, we were forced to leave the burning boat and try our luck in the seething, foaming cold and turbulent waters of the mighty Mississippi. It was about two o'clock in the morning, and almost total darkness prevailing except the light from the burning wreck. So we proceeded to perform carefully, but hurriedly, the most heart-rending task that human beings could be called on to perform. That of throwing overboard into the jaws of certain death by drowning those comrades who were unable to help themselves. Some were so badly scalded by the hot water and steam from the exploded boiler that the flesh was falling from their bones. The lucky ones were able to cling to debris in the river, some grasping onto dead horses and mules that had been traveling as cargo, but others, limited by their strength, sunk into the water below. The scene was utter chaos. The first rescue attempt arrived roughly half an hour after the first explosion took place. While there were massive casualties from the disaster, survivors were found. We'll discuss these attempts to save lives, explore the aftermath of this horrific tragedy, and more after the break.
3: What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely. That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains Get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast.
1: Everybody shush William Shatner has something to say.
0: Cat and Jethro box of
3: oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies?
0: Around 2 a.m. on April 27, 1865, the Sultana's patched boiler exploded, starting a chain of catastrophic events to unfold, instantly killing hundreds and leaving over a thousand men scrambling for safety, many clinging to debris in the murky Mississippi waters. The steamer Boston was the first to arrive on the scene about a half an hour after the explosion. The ship was on its maiden voyage, headed down river when it came upon the chaos. They then pulled as many men as they could from the water. It's likely that it was around this same time that the first survivors floating on debris began to reach the Memphis waterfront, begging for help. Immediately, crews of ships there went to the rescue including the civilian steamer Silver Spray, Jenny Lind and Pocahontas, as well as the navy ironclad USS Essex and the sidewheel gunboat USS Tyler. Meanwhile, the burning hulk of the Sultana drifted about six miles downriver back towards Memphis before sinking near the west bank of the Mississippi River around Mound City nearby present-day Marion, Arkansas. All those who survived the disaster were located within 12 hours after the explosion. They were then taken to hospitals and soldiers' homes where they could be treated. The majority of them suffered from scalds and broken bones, but almost all of them were overcome with extreme exhaustion and exposure from floating in the frigid water. As for the dead, Efforts were made to pull them from the river as quickly as possible, and each of them were placed in pine coffins along the riverfront. But there were just so many bodies that Memphis and the surrounding communities ran out of coffins. So the remaining bodies were laid out next to each other on the levee, covered by blankets. Sadly, the remains of those who perished continued to be located for months, with some traveling as far south downriver as Vicksburg, and many were never recovered at all. The final death toll of the tragic event is unknown, although the most recent evidence places the number at 1,169, while other counts over the last century and a half have claimed that as many as 1,547 men lost their lives in the disaster. Out of 70 civilian passengers, only 21 survived, and of the 85-member crew, only 28 lived. As for the veterans of the war, only six of the 22 guards survived, and 913 ex-prisoners of war made it out of 1,960. To this day, the Sultana's destruction remains the worst maritime disaster In American history. In the end, no one was ever formally held accountable for the tragedy. Captain Reuben Hatch, the quartermaster at Vicksburg, had a long history of corruption and incompetence on his record, but still he avoided three subpoenas to give testimony about the loading of the steamer quickly resigning from military service in order to avoid a court-martial. He died in 1871 without facing any justice. The lone officer charged in the event was Captain Frederick Speed, who was responsible for sending the 1,953 men into Vicksburg from the camp. He was found guilty of overcrowding the Sultana, yet the verdict would ultimately be overturned by the Judge Advocate General US Army, because Speed remained at camp that day and did not personally oversee the men board the ship. This reversal of verdict also made the point that although the steamer may have been overcrowded, she had not been overloaded, and that the total number of passengers had not caused the problem. The exploding boilers did. Of course, survivors of the Sultana had a very different opinion. Chester Dawson Berry of Company I, 20th Michigan Infantry, testified. I understood at the time, and have had no reason to change my mind, that it was a contrived plan with Hatch, the United States Quartermaster at Vicksburg, and the captain of the boat. All went gay as a marriage bell for a while. A happier lot of men I think I never saw than those poor fellows were. The most of them had been a long time in prison, some even for about two years, and the prospect of soon reaching home made them content to endure any amount of crowding. I know that on the lower deck, we were just about as thick as we could possibly be, and I understood that all the other decks were the same. The main thought that occupied every mind was home, the dearest spot on Earth. Ultimately, though, it was Captain James Mason who was responsible for ensuring the safety of the Sultana, her passengers, and crew. He was the one who ordered the patchwork repairs and allowed far too many men aboard, cutting corners in order to make a hefty profit. And for that, he paid the ultimate price, and he was killed during the initial blast. The official cause of the disaster was determined to be mismanagement of water levels in the boilers, a problem that was exacerbated by the fact that the steamer was top-heavy due to overloading. As the steamer traveled north along the twists and turns of the river, she swayed severely from side to side, and each time the boat swayed, water tipped out, running through the interconnected boilers to the one that was the highest, and then back again as it tipped to the other side. The inconsistent water level allowed for hot spots to develop in the boiler, so when the water rushed back in, it hit the hot spot and would flash instantly to steam, creating a sudden surge of pressure. The problem could have been reduced by careful monitoring and ensuring that the water level remained high in the boilers for the duration of the trip. But it obviously was not, and the hotspot flash of steam and pressure was ultimately too much for that faulty repair completed in Vicksburg. It was that boiler that exploded first. As recently as 2015, Patrick Jennings, principal engineer of the Hartford Steam Boiler Inspection and Insurance Company, did an investigation into the Sultana explosion. Jennings concluded that the failed boilers were influenced by three main factors. First, the metal used in its construction, charcoal hammered number one, became brittle with prolonged heating and cooling. The industry had become aware of this instability in the years following the Sultana disaster, and the material was no longer used after 1879. Second was the use of Mississippi River water to feed the boilers. The sediment in the water was difficult to properly clean out and tended to settle at the bottom of the boilers or clog between the flues, preventing water from reaching certain areas, resulting in hot spots. The third and final reason was the design of the boiler itself. The 24 horizontal 5-inch flues were closely packed together, making it incredibly difficult to clean, and therefore they were easily clogged by the Mississippi River sediment. For these reasons, this type of boiler would eventually be discontinued from use on the lower Mississippi River. But first, two more steamboats using them exploded after the Sultana did. There are, of course, other more radical theories as to what happened to the Sultana. Claims that the boat was sabotaged, either by someone on board or possibly by Confederate sympathizers. But none of these theories seem to have any true credibility. As for those who perished on the night of April 27, 1865 they were first interred at the Fort Pickering Cemetery on the south shore of Memphis, Tennessee. when the Memphis National Cemetery was established the following year, the remains were reinterred there. Although there is no federally erected monument to the victims of the Sultana, there have been local monuments erected in both Memphis and Knoxville, Tennessee, Muncie, Indiana, Cincinnati and Mansfield, Ohio, Hillsdale, Michigan, Vicksburg, Mississippi, in Marion, Arkansas. And it's there, in Marion, Arkansas, where the Sultana Disaster Museum was founded in 2015. Upon one of its walls is the name of every soldier, passenger, and crew member who was aboard the steamer on that fateful day. the most intriguing part of the Sultana's enduring legacy came in 1982, when an archaeological expedition found blackened wooden deck planks and timber in a soybean field beneath roughly 32 feet of earth. Though the mighty steamboat had sunk in the Mississippi, the river had changed course over the intervening years, leaving remnants of the Sultana under dry land, roughly two miles inland from where the river flows today. My name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and you are listening to Southern Gothic.
1: Southern Gothic is produced by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider and made possible through the support of listeners like you. If you're interested in receiving ad-free episodes and additional content, be sure to join us over on Patreon or become a premium subscriber on Apple Podcasts. Southern Gothic is also a member of Airwave, a curated podcast network featuring some of the leading storytellers in audio entertainment including other chart-topping podcasts like Historical Blindness and The Conspirators. Lucky Lady Shacks.
0: Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast.